Hey, um, if you don't know, if you're new to the church, we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, so am I. You, you may not know what I mean by that, but this is actually my fourth week as our new lead pastor here at Northwest Church. And I just want to, yeah, you can. At some point, at some point, uh, we won't have to clap anymore for that, but <laughs> thank you for, and what you're doing is you're honoring me, and I, I so appreciate that. I really do love our church. God is doing something special among us, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Aren't you? Yes. All right. We have been in a sermon series just a few weeks ago. I started this series, and it's called Possessing the Heart of Christ, and I'm really, what I'm getting at is talking about different issues that we face and how it is that we deal with those issues and navigate through life with the heart of Christ because he's not just the payment for our sins, he's also the pattern for our life. And Jesus taught throughout the gospels that our external behavior stems from our internal attitudes. He went much farther than the law. The law talked about what we do on the outside, but in the Sermon on the Mount and really everything else that Jesus taught throughout the Gospels, he got right at the heart because he was bringing conviction much deeper. And that really is what we want to do. We want to have some heart-level conversations that provoke us to bring ourselves before God in need of his continual transforming power to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And this is, this is the reality. If Christianity is so doable, you find yourself not needing God to get up every day and live out the principles of Scripture. That's probably not a healthy thing. Christianity is not doable in the flesh. It requires us to need God in order to fulfill his word. When we get up in the morning, we've got to draw on his spirit to be the people that he's called us to be. And this is why sermon series like this or even talks like this from the Bible are just so vital. And so we're going to go in even further, in fact, I'm basically just piggybacking on what I talked about last week. Last week, my message was entitled, Possessing an Unoffendable Heart. And this week, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. And we are going to just do one passage of Scripture today. So you can open your Bibles just to Matthew 18. My message is entitled, Cultivating a Forgiving Heart. And with that, we'll pray. Father, we thank you uh, tonight. I was going to say this morning, but it's not, Lord. Thank you tonight for your word. God, we're grateful as a church community that we have your word as the centrality of what it is we're to know and what it is we're to follow. And Lord, we want to know and understand your word. And so today, Lord, would you reveal your word to us in a way that cuts to the heart and causes us to have hope that the unfolding future would be brighter and brighter because of what you're doing inside of us. So, Lord, use tonight, use this gathering and this weekend for your glory and your purposes. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And God's people said, amen. amen, amen. Let me read to you the introduction that I wrote that you'll have on your notes because I don't think I'm going to be able to say it better than how I wrote it earlier this week. So this is what I wrote as we open this message today. We live in a world that is full of sin, which regularly introduces various levels of pain and difficulty into our lives. In our pain, our perceptions and misunderstandings, it's not hard to get offended and become bitter and unforgiving. In fact, this is the normal way of a sinful world, which promotes and perpetuates the vicious cycle of sin and pain that seemingly never ends. Jesus stepped into this kind of world And through his life, death, and resurrection, he showed us a better way. 
The wages of sin is death, but Jesus came to give his own life in order to wipe away the debt for those who place their faith in him and wholeheartedly surrender to his word and ways. Not only do we receive forgiveness from Jesus for ourselves, but as his disciples, we are called to follow his ways by forgiving others when they sin against us as well. When Jesus taught about forgiveness, he showed us that it's not merely an obedient action, but an inward heart attitude. And I want us to remember that because that is exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. It is not merely an action. It is about having an inward attitude that forgives and forgives and forgives. Therefore, we are to walk with God in such a way that we cultivate a forgiving heart whereby we find ourselves giving to others what Christ has given to us, which is forgiveness. And let me add something to that. The importance of forgiving others is not merely about right or wrong. It goes far deeper than that. It actually gets to the core of what kind of people we want to really be. What kind of a person do you want to be? Do you want to be a person that gets offended, gets embittered, and becomes unforgiving? Because that pathway, as you and I so well know, it leads down to a religious road that causes us to be harder and harder and harder. And we know that's not the kind of people that we want to be, but in order to stop that pathway in our lives, it means that we have to cultivate a forgiving heart to become the people that we see in Jesus. Because we are never more like God than when we forgive And we are never less like God than when we withhold forgiveness. Selah. (laughs) With that said, Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to read in verse 21. It'll be on the screen. Then Peter came and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's, That's 490 iPhone calculator, there you go. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Verse 26, so the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him and saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and he released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and he seized him and he began to choke him. Now I think that's a little cute part of the story. (laughs) He seized him and he decided to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling. And that's, that's the key, right? This is about being unwilling to forgive. He was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves, the others, saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then summoning him, his Lord said, said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And verse 35, which strikes in the hearts of many theologians, much debate. Jesus says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. 
The context for Matthew chapter 18 is actually very important. Jesus told his disciples this parable that we're dialing in on tonight, which was a response to the question that Peter asked him. We see the question was, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He says up to seven times. However, why did Peter ask this question? And I I want us to go through Matthew chapter 18 in in bite-sized pieces to understand what provoked Peter to even ask the question in the first place. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 5, Jesus discusses the humility that's required to enter the kingdom. He actually says that to enter the kingdom, you need to humble yourself like a child. He's talking about childlike faith. And then in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6 through 9, Jesus discusses the seriousness of personal sin and even causing other people to sin. This is where Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, do what? And if your eye causes you to sin, you? And we would all have no limbs and eyes. And, but I want to I make a remark, okay? We sometimes talk about how the Greek word for sin is basically like miss the mark. It's borrowed from the archery world where somebody would shoot an arrow and and they would miss the bullseye. We kind of say that's what sin is like, but that's a Greek word and Jesus wasn't a Greek. And sometimes in Greek society was like, you're okay and I'm okay and philosophers love to debate in the courts and so this was the word that was used. But when Jesus talked about sin, he said, if your right hand causes you to sin, he doesn't say, well, you know, it's not that bad. You just kind of missed the mark. That's not what he said. Okay, this is Jesus the Christ. Everybody with me? All right, it's not the Jesus sometimes we hear in some stories. (laughs) Jesus talks about not only the seriousness of personal sin, but also causing other people to sin. And, And he goes as far as saying, if you cause other people to sin, it would be better for you to what? Have a millstone tied around your neck and to be cast into the sea. I mean, this is not a verse that you read for family devotions. It boggles our mind because today we have the version of Jesus sort of like the, the, the hippie, you know, or the Jesus, little Jesus meek and mild, look upon this little child. We don't know the Jesus that took issue with sin. But listen, there's a reason why he did, and we see it in Matthew 18, verse 10. He, Jesus starts to talk about the Father's heart for those who are lost, which helps us to understand why we would never want to cause other people to stumble. He goes as far as saying that the Father will leave the 99 to go after the one. So why would Jesus talk about how serious it is when we cause other people to stumble? Because the Father loves all of us and he goes after the one. And so why would we ever want to get in the way of our Heavenly Father who who tracks down the lost son and daughter? And so he's giving a reality about about how serious it really is when we cause other people to to sin as well because the Father's heart is full of rescue, isn't it? Isn't his heart so full of rescue? Don't you feel like Jesus just chased you down and didn't take no for an answer? I don't know about, about you, but I sort of feel that way. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe he made me do it, but man, he sure knocked on the door a hundred times. He did. He got to Ben Dixon. He said, no, sir, I'm coming after you, buddy. I was lost and, and he came after me. He was relentless. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 20, Jesus begins to discuss how to handle sin among brothers in order to bring reconciliation. You know how he, how he talks through this. If someone has sinned against you then, you, then you go to them. If they don't listen, you bring someone else with you. If they don't listen, then you bring them to the church. He actually gives us very clear terms on how it is that we bring about reconciliation. 
I think we would find more reconciliation if we just practiced what Jesus said. We find ourselves usually talking to others instead of the ones that we ought to talk to, but that's for a little bit later. (laughs) Peter heard Jesus talk about all this, and you can imagine it probably prompted the question. Peter's listening to all this, and it's like a machine gun. He's just getting hit. And he says, well, Jesus... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And he says, up to seven times. And in this culture, at least some of the rabbinic teaching that I've read, it was commonly taught that Jewish rabbis would teach that you can forgive someone three times, but the fourth time, you don't forgive them. And it was sort of like in our culture, you sort of like, you know, I forgive you once, forgive you twice, but three, it's kind of like shame on you. You know, you didn't really mean it to begin with and sort of turn away from them. This was what They knew this was what they heard. And so when Peter says seven times, you know he's thinking, I'm really generous. I'm really gracious, Jesus. Gold star? (laughs) Seven times, Lord, I'm going to double it. I'm going to double it. What do you think, Jesus? Is that good? And Jesus goes, no, Peter. Seventy times seven. And his eyes get big. Seventy what? Seventy times seven. He's probably doing the metric system, the Jewish metric system. (laughs) Because it's not about a number. It's about the character of our heart. How many times does Jesus forgive you? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's not about a number. It's about the character of the heart. In fact, that is the, the way that the kingdom works. Kingdom character is about forgiving and not just about the number of times that we forgive. And so Peter is getting an upgrade in his theological understanding from Jesus himself. And I want to observe some things here from this passage as we just keep going through. But before I do that, I want to actually define forgiveness so we know the terms that we're working with. And this is the definition that I have. Forgiveness, in essence, means to cancel a debt. In this parable, the king canceled his servant's debt. So that's what we're working with here. Canceling a debt does not mean that everything goes away, though, because someone has to pay for it, right? You can cancel a debt, but that means that somebody else paid for it. So forgiveness also means that you choose to absorb the cost of another's offense or sin. We're not talking about finances, but you all remember 2006, and uh, car companies went bankrupt, and banks went bankrupt, and our government bailed them all out, and, and everybody thought that was all good until we realized who paid for it. Why don't you go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, you paid for it. And whether you agree with that or not, the the point is, it's not just, you can't just cancel a debt and act like nobody had to pay for it. Someone has to absorb the cost. So we cancel a debt, we absorb a cost, and this is what God did for us through Jesus Christ if we only receive the payment for our sins, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God uh, is through, through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift that he gives to us, and it's the greatest example of what forgiveness actually means. When you absorb the cost, you promise you won't use that sin against someone. You also promise that you won't malign their character among other people. Did you know that when we gossip about people when we've been wounded by them, it is another way of practicing unforgiveness because it is a way of making them pay. It is a way of making them pay. So when we promise that we will cancel the debt and absorb the cost, we are also making a commitment not only to stop holding something against someone, but when they're not around, we also have to make sure that we're careful about how it is that we speak. By contrast, unforgiveness is the mentality that says, I'm going to make you pay for what you did. 
We make people pay by bringing it up, using it against them, and dwelling on it constantly. And this is the sting of wounds and sins and offenses. And there is a reality to this. I'm not suggesting, obviously, that we just need to wash everything and act like it didn't happen. That's why we have another 20, 30 minutes in our message today. <clears throat> what did Jesus teach about forgiveness? Three things from this passage. There are more in other gospel accounts, but I'm going to share with you three. Forgiveness is progressive. Forgiveness is both an event and very often an ongoing process. The way I say it is forgiveness is not a one and done. It is a progressive. What does verse 21 and 22 say? P Peter is saying, is it up to seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. As many times as necessary, as long as it takes, continue to forgive, continue to forgive. As I've already said, it's not about how many times, it's about having a forgiving heart. That's what we're talking about, cultivating a forgiving heart again and again and again. Why? Because it's who I am. Am. I am a person that forgives and forgiveness is progressive. If you have ever been confused about the issue of forgiveness because you would say to me, Ben, I've forgiven someone, but I still feel the sting. Well, the reality of the situation that you're facing is that some things are harder to forgive and it will take time. That is why forgiveness is progressive. We continue to stand before God, acknowledging that we feel the pain, and we ask him to continually help us to forgive. Forgiveness is progressive. I like what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said. I don't always quote people, but he's one of my faves, so you're going to hear from him. <laughs> he said, forgiveness is not an occasional act, but a permanent attitude. I agree with that. I agree with that. I've had many people in my life reject me, say horrible things about me, um, malign my character, lie about me. I'm sure you have as well. I'm not, uh, I'm not speaking to people that haven't had to go through all of these types of things. I have, you have. And something that has happened in, in the more difficult things in my life, as I'm sure it is with you, is that when somebody wounds me or somebody says stuff about me, or even when they're, they're, they, they do it and they don't stop doing it, right? This sort of happens in our, in our world. It, it's been hard for me at times to just release them in that, in that moment. And I, and I used to have this kind of thinking. It's like, you know, I've forgiven them. And, and, and whenever the sting or the feeling comes back, I'll just go, well, I've forgiven them. But often when you feel the sting, what I have learned over time is that it is another opportunity to stand before God and reach into him from his forgiveness for me and again forgive that person and pray blessing over that individual because in that process, he is helping me to die to self, take up his character and release people in the name of Jesus. Knowing that my life is not just about how I feel and it's not just about what I get out of the deal or even about what we call justice. I really do believe that when you're the oppressed, you have the upper hand. The world won't teach you that. The world will teach that when you're the oppressed, that you just get angry and lash back. But the reality is, is that when all of the stories that inspire all of us is when the oppressed rise up and act in an opposite spirit. That's, those are the stories that hit the headlines. Those are the stories in the history books. Those are the stories that make me want to be better than I already am or better than I am as an individual. It's when the oppressed rise up and say, you are not going to make me be like you. There's a better way. His way is a better way. 
The oppressed have the upper hand. I'm telling you, if you've been oppressed, if you've suffered, if you've gone through difficulty, I want to tell you something. You are not a victim. You are a victor. And God's going to put his spirit upon you in a powerful and mighty way. And he's going to show Jesus in your life. And people in the world are going to look at you and they're going to say, where did you get that power from? Where did you get that character from? How can you respond like that? And you're going to smile and you say, well, it wasn't from you. Show enough. Wasn't from you. It was from him. It was from him. History books are not written about the people that waved the angry fist. History books are written about the people that rose up and they showed a better way. Forgiveness is progressive. Don't forget that. We don't want to live saying, oh, I've forgiven them. If God brings it back up, forgive. Father, I thank you. I forgive them in Jesus' name. Thank you that you've forgiven me. We continually focus on the cross. We continually focus on how Jesus forgives us. We continually put our mindset on what Scripture teaches us. Otherwise, we are going to yield to our feelings. And listen, feelings are real, but they are not always. You guys have been listening to me. Oh, maybe. Number two, forgiveness is costly. I'm not trying to minimize pain, difficulty, your turmoil. In the parable, the king, it cost the king 10,000 talents to forgive his servant. It was owed to him. This is 18 years of wages, a king's wages. King Herod, history books tell us that he made 900 talents annually. All right, so even for him, that's about 20 to 25 years for a king's salary. This servant, I don't know how in the world he owed him 10,000 talents. It's a fictitious story, and Jesus is making it extreme for a reason. He does that. He's very provocative. And so he's giving this scenario that's not real to basically say that's how radical a forgiveness that the Father has given to you. And in return, your forgiving other people is not minor, but it's minor in comparison. And so because of what you've received, then you can give it away. That's the whole point of the parable I don't care who you are, this is still a, a, an, an expression of radical forgiveness. And, and I would actually go as far as saying forgiveness is supernatural. It's not the natural tendency. It's, it's not just easy. It's costly. It's going to cost us. When Jesus says, if anyone would desire to follow me, he must first take up his cross and then deny himself. I want to submit this to you tonight. When you deny yourself, like forgiving people who have, right, who have wronged you, they have genuinely wronged you, they have done something to you, or even groups of people, when they have done wrong to you, when you choose to forgive and walk in an opposite spirit, you feel the flesh die. You feel the ache and the pain. It's not like happy, clappy, everything's good. I mean, we put it on at church. We shine it on, but, but you... You feel the flesh die. The flesh wants to scream. But he said, deny yourself. That means to dethrone yourself. We get back, we get off the throne and Jesus gets back on the throne of our life. When we look at what God did to forgive us, we see how costly it was for him. It's free for us, but it was costly for him. That's what causes us to be thankful today, isn't it? I'm thankful because I can see that, 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 that I'm holding grace and grace isn't a license to sin. Never. If you really see what Jesus has done for you, you won't walk so frivolously. Oh, whatever doesn't matter. <laughs> whatever doesn't matter. But his blood becomes precious to you. And you don't have to, you can't repay him. We can't repay him, right? We can't. That's not the attitude. The attitude is, is that, 
I'll give my life to you. You know, it's just a reasonable sacrifice is to give back to you my life. You gave your life and it it was 10,000 talents and I'm I'm gonna give back. I'm gonna give back my whole life. Whatever you say, whatever you want because because you gave everything for me. So I'm gonna give everything to you. I'm not here to minimize your pain. I'm not here to say that what you go through, what we go through is no big deal. Some, some of you have gone through things I'll never face. And, I, and I, I, wa- I wanna say to you, I'm a brother in arms. I'm born for the battle. We're in this together. I may not understand, but let's do this together. But I, won't, I don't wanna let anybody be a victim to what's happened to them, no way. I won't let you do that. I really won't let you do. If you're, friend, if you're friends with me, I'm not gonna let you do that because God has a future for our life to bring him glory and we don't wanna waste it on just dwelling on the pain of the past. It does not deserve to have that kind of power in our life and I, I won't allow it, not in my friendship circles, not in our church. It does not mean that, that you, you won't have to walk through hard stuff. It does not mean that you won't have to feel the pain. It does not mean that but it, what it does mean is there's something greater. And I believe that every person has a purpose and I believe that every person can bring glory to God but I I think there are things that keep us bound. There are things that keep us stuck, things that keep us in shackles and we prayed and we worshiped tonight about shackles being broken and walls coming down and I don't want it to be a song, I want it to be a reality. And and it's a reality when we forgive. When we forgive people, they don't have the shackles come off. You know, the prison doors open up and the walls come down. But it takes dying to the flesh. It is costly. Forgiveness is costly. Unforgiveness, number three, is more costly. Verse 35, Jesus says, if we don't forgive others from our heart then we will not be forgiven. Unless you think this is sort of a proof text for what I'm about to say, Jesus actually says this type of thing many times. I think it's seven, I could be wrong, it might be six, I could be off one. But he says it a handful of times. That if you don't forgive your brother or sister, your heavenly father will not forgive you. This confuses people. Theologians debate what this even means. But I, I've got some thoughts about what I, I think this means. If we are not practicing forgiveness or cultivating a forgiving heart toward others, something is deeply wrong. Something is deeply wrong. Forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. The servant was stingy when the king was generous. And, and the king, when he scolded him, he said, how could you not forgive the hundred denarii? When I forgave you of the 10,000 talents, how could you not realize what happened to you in part was so that you could be changed and go and do likewise? How could that not happen? How, How could you not understand and have the revelation of where you stand and where you sit and what you have and why you have it? How could you not? How could you be stingy when someone just gave you everything? And this is what... This is what this really means. Sometimes we get confused. Is, is Jesus saying that, that grace is going to get removed from us if we simply don't act in the right way? I actually think the opposite is true. And sometimes that's the way Jesus will talk. He'll, he'll say something at the end, which actually is, is implied at the beginning. And what I actually think he means is that when we're not people who will forgive others, when we're unwilling that's the word. When we're unwilling to forgive other people, it probably is an indication that we are not forgiven ourselves. Yeah. 
And this we take soberly tonight. This we take very seriously. Because if there's something, I'm not talking about your feelings. I'm not talking about whether or not it's hard. I'm not talking about whether or not it's progressive. I've already said it's a process. Some of it's progressive. But if we're, the word is unwilling, I would actually go as far as this. If we're unwilling to forgive, we open a door to all kinds of things coming into our life that we don't want. Say you went on vacation. I would like to go on vacation. <laughs> Not from you. Say you went on vacation. And you left every window and every door in your house open. And you went away. You went on some big cruise. You were excited. You had the hat and everything. <laughs> you went with Pastor Scott. You had a party. Surfboard, all that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Love you. You left every window, every door open. What would you expect back in your home when you came home? <laughs> you're not really sure. But I'll tell you this. You're going to have things in your home you don't want there. When we're unwilling to forgive, it's, it's like opening the windows and the doors, not sure about what's going to be inside. Now, I know that can imply a lot of strange things in your mind. I'm just saying things, all of a sudden, things are invited into our soul, into our heart, into our experience, into our daily lives, into our mindsets, into our interactions, into our relationships. I think sometimes we struggle with other things because if you go all the way back to the root system, it's stuff like this. It's stuff like this. Unforgiveness is more costly. We don't want to yield to it. We don't want to give it an inch. I, I, I'm saying this to you. like We get hurt by people, but we have to posture ourselves to be more hurt for people than hurt by people. I've got stories. You've got stories. I, one of my friends that I've had and told me, I, I can't really tell you the story, but let's just say he, he'd had his, as a boy, he'd had his manhood taken away from him in, in ways that I can't talk about. One of my friends he began to tell me and family members just, you, anyways, as, as bad as it can get, okay? This was a friend of mine. He talked to me about the process of forgiveness. He talked to me about what he had to go through. He talked about nightmares. He talked about all this stuff, right? As a boy, okay? We're talking nine-year-old boy. We're talking all the way to like 13 years old. This, this is serious. The only thing that worked for him was Jesus Christ giving him a revelation ultimately of what he had done for him. That took time, but that revelation got down so deep in him that he forgave and he forgave and he forgave. And I asked him to his face, I said, do you feel, still feel the sting? And he said, I don't feel the sting. I remember what happened, but I don't feel the pain. Come on, Jesus, come on. And here's the reality. Some preach a religion without power, not here, not here. There's a lot of statements that we could make about how difficult and how hard. Absolutely. We walk together and we war together. That's what we do. We, walk, we don't patronize each other. Just get it together. No, no, no. Not here. We walk together and we war together. Why? Because God's got a glorious plan for his church and for his people. I don't know what you've been through, but unforgiveness is more costly. And we'll put a period in that. I want to give you some additional principles for forgiveness before I close this up. The first one is forgiveness is vertical and then horizontal. What, what do I mean by this? Mark chapter 11 verse 25 says that if you stand praying and you're holding something against a person, forgive them. So if you stand praying and you have something against another person, right then, right there, 
forgive him. But look what Luke 17, 3 says. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, then forgive him. So sometimes people can bring this up as a contradiction. Like, which one is it? Am I supposed to just right then and there forgive him? Or am I supposed to go and rebuke him? And then if they repent, I forgive them. Well, I actually think it's both. And what this actually brings up is that forgiveness is first vertical. It's something that we do in our relationship with God. When we know that we have a thing against a person, they've offended us or sinned against us, in our prayer time, in our life with the Lord, we forgive them. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness for me, and I forgive whoever that person was. But then the Lord will lead us at times into what we call reconciliation. Now, it is always our pursuit, hopefully, to reconcile, but reconciliation is not always possible. And I want to be clear, it is possible to forgive someone without reconciliation, Even though it should be our pursuit, it is not always possible. This is a question that we get all the time in pastoral care. It is a human problem. It is a human question. I want to have reconciliation, but reconciliation and forgiveness are not necessarily the same thing. I would like to tell you right now that every person that I've had a riff with, I am in total reconciliation with, but I am admitting to you as a pastor that is not the case. And is it because I have failed to pursue? No, I have tried to pursue, but there are times where a person is simply in an unrepentant state, and I have tried to talk to them about it, and they stay and remain in that state, and there is nothing that I can do, and it is not my responsibility to repent for them. And so this is a very important principle because this is our goal Repentance or reconciliation is our goal, but reconciliation requires repentance of the the other individual. Forgiveness given is not necessarily forgiveness received. And isn't that true with Jesus? I mean, Jesus paid it all for every human being. Does that mean everybody's saved? No, that's called inclusionism. We don't believe in that. Some people believe that. They believe that because Jesus died on the cross, it was effective and powerful enough for everybody whether they believe or not. We don't believe that. The Bible says whoever believes. So forgiveness given is not necessarily forgiveness received. So by faith and through repentance, we receive the forgiveness of God. We turn from our own ways. We turn toward Jesus. We place all of our faith. We abandon ourselves into his death, burial, resurrection. That's the only response that we have. It's what he did for us and not what we do for ourselves. That's grace. His grace is given. Forgiveness given is not necessarily forgiveness received. It's true in our relationship with God, and it's also true in our relationship with people. All right, so this is a touchy one, and I don't have time to go too deep, but there it is. Number two, forgiveness is not peace at all costs. When we talk about forgiveness, we're not saying that we should open ourselves up to be sinned against. This is not about being happy, about getting wounded. Here's a bat, take a hit. That's not what we're talking about, okay? So you can smile. We're not saying that forgiveness means to stay in an abusive relationship. And let me just say, we stand against abuse. Yeah, we deal with abuse. We don't wash it over like we're reading about in the papers with some in churches today. That is not what we do. If people are in abusive relationships, we deal with it head on. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Acts preach. I heard you. I, heard, I don't know where you are, but I heard you. <laughs> Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Remember, Jesus actually tells us what to do. He says, if your brother sins, go show him his fault in private. All right? So we practice the Bible. That, that includes abuse and all kinds, of, um, all kinds of difficulties that we face in 
various relationships. He gives us a process of dealing with sin in order to resolve it and bring reconciliation. And as, as I've said, it's not always possible even though we try. And this passage gives us uh, wisdom. I just want to say, when it comes to issues of relationship, we just have to practice the Bible. And I find that one of the reasons why we remain in tension and hostility in relationships is because we don't. And the reason we remain in guilt, even if you're, let's say a person's in an abusive relationship, we have to try to bring that sin and fault to them. And then we have to try to bring someone else. If we don't do that, there'll be this guilt. Like, am I doing something wrong? And, and, and a victim mentality will come over someone. It's why people will stay in abusive relationships. I will, if I know about it, we're going to pull that person out of there as quick, fast, and in a hurry. I mean, too many people have been wounded by these pseudo-spiritual principles about remaining and being a doormat and getting kicked every day. No, no, no. That's ridiculous. I feel like I just want to squash something right now. I, I don't know. Are we, are, we, are we all on the same? There's a narrative that says the church is unwilling to deal with real issues. It's a lie. There are some churches that have continued that. There are some churches that have covered over that. That's not us. I don't know who it is, but it's not us. Amen, Scott? Okay, all right. I think I kicked it in the teeth. I think we did good there. I think, all right. Number three, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Jeremiah 31, 34, Hebrews 10, 17 speaks of God not remembering our sins. Like he remembers our sins no more. People use these verses to say that God doesn't remember our sins. Like I've heard stories where people have said they're talking to God about some past thing and God says to them, what? I forgot. Like he has spiritual amnesia. Uh, remember, God is omniscient. That means he... He knows the past, the present, and the future. He has perfect knowledge. He's a, he's a being, incomprehensible being. He does not forget the sins of our past. When it says, I will remember their sins no more, what he's saying is, I will not recall it to your account. I will remember them no more. I will not put it on your account. I will see you differently through my son. This is what he's talking about. So let's not make that verse say something that it doesn't because there are times in, in church where people will act like the only way you've really actually forgiven someone is if you've forgotten it. Well, how's that working for you? There are things that I've done in my life, sins that I've committed that the Lord does not want me to forget because it's my testimony where I boast in Jesus for setting me a sinner free of the shackles of the past. I don't dwell on it I don't live in that old identity. I live in the new identity and I glory in the cross. I boast in the Lord Jesus because of who he is and what he's done. I don't glory in any of that old stuff. I dance on it. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Let me close with a story. And I want you to know I'm doing great on time and feeling good about it. <laughs> I've told you my story about when I was 24 years old, I married a beautiful woman named Bridget. Her name was Adams at the time. Now it's Dixon, of course, because she's mine. <laughs> I don't mean property. That would never happen. I mean, she, she's my love. She's, she's mine. I married her. She was 27. I had to marry up. I did. It, it's true. <laughs> she had a 9 and 11-year-old boy. They had two different fathers. That's our son, Isaiah and Avante. God gave me the privilege of, along with her, raising them. She was a single mom. She was a strong single mom, just 
raising her boys without really anybody's help, honestly. Went to school, worked two jobs, worked on the weekends, clean houses to send them to childcare and school. She, she's amazing. I, I couldn't say enough about my, about, about my wife. Even single parents, God bless you. We know, listen, I see you. I married her and um, one of my sons, their dad hadn't seen them. He was, he was nine and he hadn't seen his dad ever. He, he was six months the last time he'd seen him and obviously he's not going to remember that. The old, my older son, he had seen his dad about six years prior to me marrying their mom. And so wouldn't you know, six months into our marriage and my being a new stepfather, I get a phone call. And it's my oldest son's dad. After six years, he makes a decision that he wants to get back into his son's life. Now, I talked to you last week about the thermometer. I just want to tell you that it was, it was all the way. <laughs> so we're on the phone, and he's telling me of his intentions. And my answer was no. There was another word there, but it was no. I'm just, I wasn't sanctified in that moment. I'm a, put the pastor card down. I was in a different place. I was... I said, no, I was fearful for my son. I'll be re- I'm going to be really honest with you. you. You know, you can like me or not. I don't know. All right. And I said, no. And um, he, colorful language was exchanged. I said, go through the courts to see your son. That's what you got to do, period. Whatever they say is what we'll abide by. So we hang up and uh, basically we don't hear from him. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want to hear from him. And I'll be honest, I was afraid. I was afraid of losing Whatever this I thought was supposed to be like, I was scared that that influence would come in and my son would be hurt again. I, I was a, it was a mixture of my feelings and feeling it for him. And I, at 24 years old, what are you supposed to do? I, I just said no, ladies and gentlemen. Time went on. Several years actually went on. We never heard from him again for, for a while. And then my sons get older and I notice in them that they still are longing for this person that they've never known. I, I realized it. And my heart was honestly in a place of unforgiveness. It was, I had taken up, taken up the offense of my sons. I had taken up the offense of my wife. And I want to say to my wife's credit, she never spoke badly about these men. It was amazing. She never, But I had another issue that I was dealing with. I took up their offense and Facebook was born and it gave way to us being able to connect with people maybe that you never wanted to connect to. But that's what happened. And through that, my oldest son and his stepson and his father got connected and the Lord began to speak to me and, and, and say, this is something that you need to endorse, right? So I did. And as a result of that, things in my son's life did get worse for a period of time. My fears got realized. And um, I allowed it, but I didn't get behind it. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, I want you to invite him in. I don't just want you to allow it to happen. So that's exactly what I did. And it was so hard. I did not know what I was doing. And I still had that unforgiveness in me. That harboring was there. So I invited him in. We invited him to, <laughs> we invited him to graduations. And we invited his extended family. And it just, we just, I don't know. We, by faith, we said, come on in. And he was very skeptical of it. And him and I got on the phone and I said, my son turned 18 years old and I said, the Lord gave me an idea. I read a book called Raising Modern Day Knights. And it's a good book if, you, if you're a father or even a mother and, and you have young men, read that book. It's a great book. And the Lord gave me an idea to write a book for my son about being a man, being a man of God. And so I got about 
18 other men to write a letter, and I wrote a letter. It's basically like a book. I'll some, someday I'll publish the parts that I can share with everyone, but I wrote I wrote like a book to him and I got all these letters, I compiled them and I asked his biological father to write a letter and I put it right in there as dad and dad, you know. His dad was overwhelmed that I asked him to do it and I asked his biological father to come with me on his 18th birthday and celebrate him and go out to dinner with me and then lay hands on him. He's not a Christian. So we did that. I gave Isaiah his book with his father. We presented it to him. We laid hands on him. I don't know who he was praying to, but we... Some things are messy. Can you agree with me there? I, I don't know. I, I just know I took authority in Jesus' name. Whatever. I just, I just, we prayed for him. My son was going down a wrong road. Something shifted in his heart. The Lord spoke to me about blessing, about blessing your children. And I laid my hands on my stepson. And I, I own the fact that God gave me the privilege to raise him. But the Lord said to, to me, you're not his father. This is his father. But you had the privilege of reconciling him to his father. That was your job do that. My son did not have his father's name, and this is controversial, but I'm going to say it to you anyways because, well, I'm four weeks in, so we're going in. (laughs) The Lord said to me, I want you to encourage your son to take on his father's name. And my son said to me he wanted to take my name. And as a step-parent, I was so proud. I was so excited. He's going to take my name. And the Lord said, I want you to encourage him to take his father's name. You cannot hinder legacy. He's going to change his lineage. That, that was your responsibility. That, and I'm not, some of you have done it differently, and I, I honor that. I'm not speaking against what you're doing, but this is what God said to me. I heard his spirit speak to me, and he took on his father's name, and he actually decided to do that. He took my advice. He said, I feel like God told me to do that as well. Two years ago, I officiated my oldest son's wedding. His name's Isaiah. His, his wife's name's Laura. That's my daughter-in-law. And I stood there, and his dad was right there in the sanctuary and he walked up at the end and he said I want to get some pictures with you and we stood next to each other and we looked at our son and he said look at our son he said look at our son I can't explain to you what happens in me when I talk to you like this I can't explain it but I think you understand it that process was painful for me I'm not asking for sympathy I'm just telling you but I know that Through this kind of stuff, what would have happened to my son if I didn't and his mom didn't cultivate a forgiving heart in our home? I think the story would have ended differently. See, sin of unforgiveness is not just about how it affects us. What about our children? I was looking in the mirror and I was able to see a real story that if if Bridget and I did not cultivate forgiving hearts, that it would have just cascaded down to our children and they would have picked those wounds up and they would have run with them. And today my son has a great relationship with his father. Him and I are friends. Life's not perfect, but God's in the middle of it. I want to share this with you because God can do abundantly above and beyond what we could ask, think, or feel. And just because we're not seeing it or feeling it doesn't mean that he's not at work doing it. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your pain is like. Maybe it's far worse than I've ever experienced, but I want to tell you something. Unforgiveness is more costly. Let's walk in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. 
toward everyone in our world because that's what reveals him. We are never more like God than when we forgive people. And we are never less like God when we, than when we withhold forgiveness. Amen? Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you would give us a revelation of the 10,000 talents. That's what you've done for us. You've forgiven us of more than we can comprehend. All the way down to the motives, things we don't even see. We're so we can be so blind to the things that we've done or why we've done them. But Lord, your forgiveness is so full. God, I pray that that revelation, that you would open that up to us right here and right now in this moment. We would see the beauty of Jesus from the cross to the resurrection to coming and meet, meeting with his disciples and telling them what to do as a result of it, that we get to be a part of your mission. And that mission starts with us embracing the full forgiveness that we have in you and releasing forgiveness to people in our world. God, I just pray over every area of pain in our lives tonight, every issue that we're facing, every difficulty of the past. God, we just pray that we would be a people that do not have baggage. <laughs> we have luggage because we're going somewhere. And that happens through forgiveness. Come on, that's what I'm seeing in my heart tonight. We need to get past the baggage and get into the luggage. That Jesus repacks all of our bags. All new clothes, all new fit for a whole new life. This is what you've called us to tonight. I feel strongly in my heart. I'm not pre-planning this, but I don't know if I want you to stand or I don't really know what. What I want to do, though, is say that there's a handful of people in the room that need to rededicate their lives to Jesus. And here's, here's the way that I'll, I'll close. Would you all stand? Let's just all stand. We're going to close tonight. Me and Pastor Scott are going to be here on the right. Um, if your heart's burning, we all need to forgive people. That's what I taught tonight. But if your heart's burning, saying, Ben, I need to, I need to make things right with Jesus tonight. I actually, I'm stuck. And I, I, I need to, my life is not in him, with him, even though I've said yes to him, even though I'm a Christian. I need to, I need to have a reset. I need to have a refresh. I, I need to make a commitment. I'm going to ask you after the service to come up if you have that time. And I would actually encourage you, if that's you and you know it's you, make that time for your sake, not for mine, but for yours. But I encourage you, all of us today, let's just forgive in the name of Jesus. So may the grace of God abound to you more and more as you go out into the world and face the situations of life. Let's be like Jesus. Amen? Amen. God bless you.